10-5 touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. Well, hello again. Welcome into the Second to None podcast. Back again after another Red Wolves game week. And we got a lot to talk about, as always. And we'll get into some other stuff in the second segment that we normally aren't able to get into because usually we're taking a look ahead at that week's opponent. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's a bye week. So we've got some other stuff to get into, including Brad's visit just a few days ago with the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference, Keith Gill, who was in town. He's in a stretch of actually he's taken in three straight Arkansas State games. Uh, He was at Georgia Southern, really uh, just because it was just kind of time to be in Statesboro. Uh, It just happened to be A-State was the opponent. Then Mm -hmm. he was in uh, Jonesboro for the game on Thursday night. He and I sat down for about a 35-minute visit on Friday, and then he'll be back next Thursday night for the game against the Cajuns. All right, so Keith Gill logging the travel miles and uh, getting around the Sunbelt Conference. Looking forward to talking about that visit coming up uh, here in just a little bit, but we want to start off by looking back at last Thursday night, 15th-ranked Coastal Carolina was in town, and the undefeated Chanticleers looked the way we expected them to. And, you know, we knew coming in what we were getting into. It was basically the same team back from a year ago. And probably the most efficient offense you'll ever see in college football. Yeah, I mean, anytime you keep them from scoring, you've done something. And even if you kept them from scoring, but they ate a bunch of time in the process, they would still feel like they've done something. It's the most unique setup on offense I've seen because I wouldn't classify what they do as playing a slowdown game. It's certainly not boring to watch, but they're perfectly content to go out there and stay on the field for eight or nine minutes if you let them. And, and still now through six games, counting the Arkansas State game, they've gone three and out a grand total of two times all year. That's amazing. It's the system that they run that I, I think is just so impressive because they really run three different offenses in one. And then they've got the weapons, they've got the tools that they need to run it so effectively and continue to be impressed with Grayson McCall. Isaiah Likely, I think, is one of the best tight ends in the country and certainly looked that way the other <laughs> night with over 200 yards re- receiving and the four touchdowns. So, Anyway, it's a really, really good team, and they've got a fantastic defense as well that's top 10 nationally in scoring defense. Well, they gave up their first two passing touchdowns of the year in Jonesboro Thursday night. A-State had the football first in this game, and moving the ball on the opening drive, you get up around midfield, and it's just those negative plays, those big losses, and you know, James Blackman was sacked three times in the first half, including a 13-yard loss on a sack on the opening drive. And so you have to punt. And look, Ryan Hansen, about as perfect as you can get. He 
kicks one inside the five. It takes a left turn out of bounds at the one-yard line. So Coastal, on their opening drive of the night, has to start mm-hmm. at the one. First down, you stuff them. It's second down and 10, Coastal from their own one, and it's a 99-yard touchdown pass to the aforementioned Isaiah Likely, and he was about as, as open as it gets. And here's the deal. I mean, we might as well jump off right here because we'll spend – I mean, you can't not talk about it. That's not a 99-yard touchdown play call. No. Not many people, by the way, have 99-yard touchdown play calls in the book, but even if Coastal did, they didn't call it on that play. They called a get-us-the-heck-off-this-goal-line play call. They got played into a 99-yard touchdown. As drama-free a 99-yard touchdown as you're ever going to see because really, once it was caught, there was little (laughs) suspense as to what the end result was going to be. I was talking about it with with Philip and Cade Carlton a little bit later in the broadcast. We were nearing a break, and I said, I don't ever remember calling a touchdown while the ball was still in that team's territory. But you knew at the 35-yard line of Coastal Carolina that that was a touchdown. And you get it every once in a while in baseball. You'll hear you know, a broadcaster basically say swing and a home run just because there's no doubt. You knew it. But, uh, but this is uh, the equivalent to that. <laughs> we did see some good things from the defense, including on Coastal's next drive. They get all the way down to the one-yard line, and and you get the goal line stand. Terry Hampton ended up getting the stop on third and goal at the one, and you you hold them to a field goal, and and you feel at that point that's a little bit of a win. Yes, absolutely you do. When it's just 10-0, and all you need is the offense to go out there and get you something. Obviously, we got other stuff we're going to say about the defense as we go. At what point do we want to spend a long time talking about quarterbacks? Because there's a lot, at least from my standpoint, going to be said about that today. But James Blackman, number one, is having a hard enough time, getting enough time to get a pass off. And when he does, for whatever reason, he's having a really hard time having people catch it. I sat down with Coach Jones to do the TV show on Sunday morning. He said they counted 11 drops. You know, James was having a hard enough time, as you said. He was sacked three times in the first half. He ended up injuring his shoulder and had to leave before the intermission. So it kind of goes back to just those protection issues. And then when the pass is there, it's not being caught way too large of a percentage of the time. Yeah, out of a group that was going to be one of the strongest positions on the field for Arkansas State. And They've just dealt with some drops that we weren't accustomed to seeing so far this season. That wasn't a one-game deal. I mean, that goes on now over the stretch of the last three or four games. We're seeing balls hit the ground that we're used to seeing Arkansas State receivers haul in. James Blackman, when he came out of the locker room for the second half, was wearing street clothes. Mm -hmm. So we knew that it was Lane Hatcher's game in the second half. And it goes back to, you know, very quietly almost – because Arkansas State ran one play at the end of the half. And it was, you know, a big run play for Marcel Murray because Coastal Carolina had everybody 40 yards off the ball. But quietly, Lane Hatcher came and ran that play. One play in the first half. Yep. And so, and they didn't think a whole lot about it besides you notice, well, Lane came out and ran that play. And then when I went back into the facility at halftime, you know, it's when I, I – could notice what was going on that, that they were looking at something with James Blackman and and I talked with you guys off the air and said hey 
this is going on just so you know I mean, he's out of his jersey and they're you're looking at something around his shoulder but we won't go on the air with that yet until he came out of the locker room wearing a warm-up suit and mm-hmm. you're like well okay i mean that's that we can talk about it you know at that point it's already 24 to nothing coastal goes up 31 nothing early in the third and it was good to see the offense finally get going a little bit after that and coach jones talked about a much cleaner pocket that was created in the second half that helped get things going offensively you get a 15 yard touchdown pass to Corey rucker to get a state on the board and it seemed like yeah, you know, the offense as a whole kind of gained confidence after that. And as far as Rucker goes, you know, he was not really able to practice much during the week. Yeah, and, and you know, it shows. I mean, watch him walk around. Watch him walk around on the field, getting you know back to the line of scrimmage or to the sideline or into the huddle. And he noticeable limp. And I think he may have even kind of taken a a bruised knee in that game to go along with already being sore. So he was visibly slowed, but you know, still was able to. All in a touchdown. So you get on the board, but three plays later, uh, another big strike, 64-yard touchdown pass to Isaiah Likely. Red Wolves do answer right back, a three-play drive. And, you know, Tavalence Hunt was a huge bright spot in this game. If you're looking for bright spots individually, look at Tavalence Hunt. He finished with six catches for 138 yards, including a 63-yard touchdown catch. Hunt split right, twins on the left, Lane. With time, steps up, throws over the middle, caught first down. Hunt inside coastal territory, breaks a tackle across the 30, 20. Tavela Hunt is going to take it to the house. 63 yards, Hatcher to Hunt. Let's not forget, awful lot of those yards are after the catch. Yeah. After contact. So he, he was making plays. So Tavela Hunt able to find the end zone there. Then early fourth, you know, the Red Wolves able to cut it down to 18 a good drive ends with a one-yard touchdown run by Lincoln Perry and I loved it because <laughs> you bring T.W. Ayers in at fullback high formation old school football here here's the fullback Perry the tailback give it to Lincoln he's in touchdown Lincoln Perry we had gotten teased by that formation once I think at Tulsa down on the goal line Came out in that eye formation with Ted Wiers at fullback and had a false start. It was it was long on the two yard line there too. Well, then by the time it backed up to the seven, you know it took you out of that play. Uh, so we'd gotten teased by it then, but to to kind of see uh, our, our buddy, the Hall of Famer Bill Keedy, even if it's not the eye formation, how thrilled would he have been to see just be down there by the goal line and see the quarterback go under center? Period. He'd, oh yeah, that'd been an exciting call for him under center, and then. You know, and T.W. Ayers, he's he's your old school type oh, fullback gosh. anyway. So you bring him in, and I know Butch Jones loves him in that type of situation. So it's good to see that play work and get into the end zone. The A-State did miss the two-point conversion, and then Coastal with a couple of big plays later in the fourth, and they're able to put it away. Again, the big plays were a killer. Now, I will tell you this. When we sat down Sunday morning, Coach Jones said – what he did was they went recruiting Friday morning. Him and the rest of the coaches all hit the road. Mm-hmm. So they were recruiting Friday and Saturday. We filmed the TV show at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. He had already been at the office for three hours watching film. He was going back and he said, look, I sat down to watch the film Sunday morning. 
and I was expecting to see all kinds of loafs and you know other issues that we had defensively and he said the effort was incredible he said I didn't see any loaves the guys were playing hard in fact in a lot of ways it was one of our better defensive games of the year it's continuing to be those big plays though yeah you would hit them with the numbers that since you guys the other day yeah, I mean, they kind of jump off the this, page. All right, so this team, as we sat down here to, to record, this team is 130th in total defense. Uh, after the Coastal Carolina game, it's now given up 584 yards a game. That's 86.2 yards more than anybody else. And by the way, 129 is Mizzou. But 130, 584 a game, 8.44 yards per play. Mm-hmm. 8.44 yards per play. This team has given up 36 touchdowns on defense. The average length of a touchdown play, 36 of them. That's an even six a game. The average length of those plays is 38.3 yards. Wow. That's the average touchdown. I would say big plays are killing you. In so many cases, it's plays that you've stopped already before they just run it again and somebody misses an assignment you know they may have done it exactly right the first time but something goes wrong the next time around and that's what say out of those 36 we've seen them all how many of those 36 touchdown plays off the top of your head do you remember being a trick play or really even somebody taking a shot there's not a ton of them most of them are runs it, or or short passes to get played yeah. in the big ones. I mean, like that. That's that ninety nine yard touchdown is about a six or eight yard play. The other ninety one's on the defense, run up the middle, just trying to move the chains. I mean, honestly, Coastal the way they run business, they probably ticked off how fast they were scoring. It's counter to what they do. Yeah, they they came in averaging between eight and nine possessions per game, which is fewest in the country, which is exactly what they want to do. Well, they scored on nine possessions. They scored on eight possessions. Let me back that up. Because they had seven touchdowns and a field goal. So any any other stops you had in there would get them over the average. Coastal ends up winning the game 52-20. to 20. There were some other moments from the game we want to talk about, and we'll do it next on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinish the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again. In the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. You look back at that game on Thursday night, and obviously people... We'll always talk about the game, but I think even more so the discussion after the game was that scary moment in the beginning of the third quarter, I think just 16 seconds into the third quarter. First play from scrimmage, Sammy Johnson able to make a tackle from behind. The corner out of Little Rock was shaken up on the play. He was tended to for at least 10 minutes. I haven't gone back and, and seen just exactly how long it was in real time but an extremely scary situation 
both teams were huddled up on their respective sidelines and down on a knee. I know there was praying and just hoping that, that Sammy would be okay. We were able to get a good report later in the game, and you found out, and we talked about it several times on the broadcast, that Sammy was able to move his hands and feet, and they were tending to a lower back yeah. issue. So in the game itself, we've got a a good relationship with you know, not just the obviously the athletic trainers at Arkansas State, but they're, they're team doctors as well from Jonesboro Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. And he just built up enough of a rapport that – they know what the information they can give that's okay to go out there. They know, I know what information is okay to go out there. So we were able to find out fairly quickly uh, once they got Sammy in the ambulance. We even knew that, that they were looking at his lower back, but they wanted to take an x-ray that they couldn't take on site. The big thing, we, we didn't talk about the back. The main thing we wanted to give in the way of an update was that even on the field when that was going on, for as, as much as they were keeping him still, a long time kept him face down. In like my wife, for example, her concern was, well, even when they had him on the stretcher, he never did a thumbs up or any kind of motion. So that's what people were seeing. So the main thing we needed to give and we were able to give and got sign off on the doctors to give almost immediately was that he had all full movement of his arms and hands and feet on the field. Because mm-hmm. obviously when you're watching that, that's the, that's the number one concern. So fortunately, it turned out that was never an issue, uh, even though it, it sort of looked like it might be. I was kind of looking for that thumbs up, too. I was hoping to get some kind of sign from Sammy. But, you know, he was released, and I think it was before 1 o'clock in the morning, he left the hospital with his mother. And Coach Jones had said Sunday morning that, you know, he was day-to-day. So hopefully he's able to bounce back and play next week against the Cajuns. Great to know Sammy's okay, other injuries, though, in that game, and, and we'll start with James Blackman. Again, he had to leave in the first half due to a, a shoulder injury, and the timetable is indefinite mm-hmm. right now, but he could be out quite a while. Well, let me do this. Let me hop out order, and then let's go back to James Blackman and spend some time there. Okay. Let's also mention Terry Hampton went out of this game, suffered a knee injury after mm-hmm. an MRI, the results of the, you know, the interior defense lineman. He's out for the year. Now, to James Blackman. First of all, I want to make this about Butch Jones because it's the midway point in the season, and I thought we could talk about some stuff we've learned in the first half of the season. And one question you and I are both going to get a lot, have gotten in the months leading up to this, is, you know, how's Coach Jones to work with? The answer to that is, at least for me and I think for you too, different than we were probably guilty of assuming it might be. Yeah, he's been fantastic. When you look at where a guy came from at Tennessee and just the – fishbowl that is and you know how coaches in that league operate and then you look where he's been in the last three years i think we were all guilty of thinking we're not getting anything out of this guy quite the opposite has been true he's been extremely transparent with us and we appreciate that and i think there there's a trust level there and it's with any coach you ever work with you're going to get information and you'll continue to get more and more information as that trust grows. But if you abuse that trust, then it can be cut off really easily. But he sees that he can trust us with the information he does. We, we know what can go out on the air. We know what can't go out 
over the air. But because we're dealing with some of this stuff with him for the first time, take for example, the post-game radio. He comes out. Well, you know, I don't know for sure how he wants to handle information about injuries because we really haven't dealt with it. So instead of just saying, hey, coach, what's the latest on Sammy Johnson? Just out of not knowing, out of, hey, we got to do this once and see what we got. The question was worded this way. Is there anything you can give us in the way of an update? He said, yes, there is. And he had stuff written down in yep. an update for Sammy. Then same thing. Hey, James came out in street clothes. What can you tell us there? Now, this one where I really thought it could be tight lip. He comes right. You no, know, very forthright. Yeah, James came out with shoulder injury, could miss on his own, no asking. On his own, said could miss significant time. And then he went straight to Terry Hampton, too, in that same answer. So what I found out is, you know, obviously that that was a part of the learning process of working with a new coach. First time we've been in that spot and found out you know, that that's something else he's willing to be open about. I know our fans appreciate that, too, because there's so many people, especially in a home game, that are on their way home. And in the case of Sammy, you know, that's what they w- wanted to know more than anything at that point. What have we heard about Sammy Johnson and for him to convey that the way he did and, and to write it down. And, and I will tell you, that man is better at writing <laughs> things down than anybody uh, I've ever been around. Not just a coach, anybody. Now, I promise you, the next coach I see with handwritten notes for his postgame radio will be the second one. <laughs> well, and, and I've done a lot of postgame interviews, and I've never seen a coach walk out with handwritten notes, and he does it every week. But it, it's in anything he does, he's always taking notes. And I think that's a really good habit to get into because once you write it down, it's kind of a, I don't know, not a stress reliever, but you get it off your mind a little bit. You're able to put it down on paper. I think that's his way of kind of driving home a point. Being able to write it down and and be ready in that situation, I, I think, helped him. Now, let's talk about something that's been frustrating to me. Okay. Are we going into the rant a little bit earlier? I mean, mate, I mean, if that's what you want to call it. But here I'm telling you, this team gives up 584 yards a game, eight and a half yards a carry, gives up six defensive scores a game. We talked about the amount of yards they cover. I'll give you a whole list, but there's two guys that have not one thing on God's green earth to do with the numbers I just gave you. And they're James Blackman and Lane Hatcher. They hadn't been on the field for a single one of those plays. Yet, as a sports talk host, in the face of all these numbers, which weren't that different going into the Coastal game, much less coming out, all freaking people call and talk to me about is the quarterback play. And if you've watched the six games of this team and you think its issue has been quarterback play, regardless of who the quarterback is, not only are you and I not watching the same game, we're not watching the same sport. And I'll back that up because there's a lot of position groups on this team that you can look at and say, we need some depth, we need some improvement. Quarterback is way down the list. Way down. We've got two quarterbacks that have each thrown for over 5,000 yards in their careers. And that's something that no other program in the country can talk about. This is a position group that is very, very solid if everybody's healthy. In 18 hours after Coach Jones comes out on the air to me, and then I've also put it out on social media that he said on the air to me that James Blackman could miss significant time. Well, 18 hours after that, 
I'm still talking to people on the phone making their case why Lane Hatcher ought to be playing over him. It's a moot point at this time. There's other issues here that are a lot more glaring than than quarterback. And and in your position as somebody hosting a a sports talk (laughs) show, I hear it too. I listen to your show. I hear these people call in and they want to bring up the quarterbacks. And I'm thinking the same thing you are. There's a lot of other things we need to be talking about that's not related to the quarterbacks. If you're losing 17-14, call me and talk about the quarterbacks. But if the issue is that the guy playing is not scoring every possession, which is essentially what's being asked of him, close your eyes and point to a position. And there's probably a better conversation to be had than about that position than there's a quarterback. It's, I mean, it's just crazy. And what it's done, unfortunately, within the fan base is you know they, they, they splintered themselves off into these camps. And just because he's the guy that's not out there the most – you hear more from the Lane Hatcher camp, but they've pushed it and pushed it and pushed it to the point where now, if you try to counter them and say things like we're saying, you almost kind of get cornered into sound like you're you're against the kid or you're you're in the other camp. Oh my gosh. No, I love both of these young men. They are fantastic representatives of Arkansas State football. They're they're great young men. They're both really good players. They and I will and tell good, you this: good kids. Last year. I felt the same whether Logan Bonner or Lane Hatcher were on the field. I felt like either one had a great chance of leading the offense down down the field to score. And the same thing here. I trust both James Blackman and Lane Hatcher to lead the offense and do it at a really high level. If either James Blackman or Lane Hatcher had taken every snap of every game, this team would be one in five in all likelihood. Yeah. Now, to Coach Jones's post game, as it pertains to the defense, he walked out both off the air and on the air, and I'm sure to you as well when you saw him on Sunday, and said, everyone will know where they stand. I'm evaluating everyone and everything within this program. And I like that comment because – it's a good time to do it. It's the bye week. You've got a few extra days to evaluate. You're exactly halfway through the schedule now. If things are going well, you want to do that. You want to use the bye week as a chance to see where you're at. But in this case, everybody needs to know where they're at, where they stand. And believe me, these coaches are communicating that message to these players right now. They know where they stand. His comment is open for interpretation, and I'll tell you how I interpret it or what I hope it to mean even. And this is, hey, this is not, not would not, and I'm really not even thinking about any particular person by name. This is what I hope that means, that by the time this team gets on the field next Thursday night, I hope it is younger on the defensive side of the ball. And here's why. We're to the point, and these numbers bear out, that I personally, who don't know anything about it, right? And so if these coaches don't do this, then I'm going to trust there's a reason why. Because I'll say this loud for the ones in the back. They know more about it than I do. I see this team four hours a week, basically. They're with them all day, every day. But what I hope, I'm personally to the point where I, if these mistakes are going to be made on defense, I personally would rather see them made by a young guy. I like that philosophy. Yes, you want to get the young players out there 
I want to see the best 11 on the field, regardless of position. If you got to move some guys around, I want the best 11 on the field. And I think the coaches are probably marrying those two approaches. They want the the young talent to, to get on the field, but they're trying to look for answers in the short term. How can we get our best 11 guys out there on defense. And I'll say this for the fans, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but looking at who they've already used and how they've used them and guys they're using on special teams, they're not sitting on anybody for 2022 that they think can help them right now. They're not keeping somebody in a glass case. They're not keeping a red shirt on somebody they think can help them. If those young guys are one of the best ones, they're getting out there. It's interesting. And Philip brought this up. Philip Butterfield mentioned this both on and off the air. We had a freshman as a captain the other day that really hasn't played much outside of special teams. Justin Parks Mm -hmm. is a guy that Coach Jones had mentioned a lot during the week last week. He's playing hard. He's a guy that, that this team, this coaching staff, really likes for the future. But for him to be named captain, one of the three captains as a true freshman who plays special teams, I think says a lot and go back to his presser last week and i'm gonna take because i'm the one that asked him the question i said if you see a guy like cam jeffrey if you see a guy like ethan hassler and those guys right now as true freshmen are playing on special teams does that mean kind of the clock's ticking that sooner than later we're going to see them on their side of the ball and the answer was yes with no hesitation the answer was yes but then when he went to kind of build on that answer who's the name he added in that mix with those guys he said, Parks. Justin Parks is another one of those. Then you look up Thursday night, and as you said, without even being on the two deep, he's one of the captain for the game. Those three are, are young, talented players that will, in the very near future, be some of the, the most prominent faces and voices on this roster. Another guy I, I want to mention real quick, and, and certainly a younger player that we did see a little bit even last year, is Travian Thomas. And... Coach Jones even mentioned it during the TV show. He said he's turning into our captain on special teams because he was fantastic the other night. Our punk coverage was off the charts. Ryan Hansen did a great job. He had eight punts for 44 and a half yards, but the coverage was great. Uh, Javon Hiley didn't have a chance to return anything, and when he did – he was tackled right at the line of scrimmage, or in Trey Thomas's case, he made, I remember, one for about a three-yard loss. So guys like that, you can add Travian Thomas into that. Coppa yeah. Gel is another young guy that's already been out there on special teams you'll start seeing more of, too. Yeah, Coppa Gel is, is somebody that Coach Jones has, has mentioned quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. So, yes, there are some young players that I think we'll see more of and maybe not just on special teams kind of switching gears here okay the game thursday night concluded but you mentioned at the top of this podcast that the commissioner was in town keith gill stayed thursday night i'm guessing at the embassy that is correct all right so he stays overnight and you're able to meet with him friday morning yes sat down with him in one of the meeting rooms, shout out to our guy Jag for hooking us up with a meeting space Friday morning to sit down and record a conversation with the commissioner. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, I've actually played this conversation in multiple parts Monday on my show. So you can go to 953theticket.com and hear it now. 
the whole thing because again it covered over a half hour but we pulled out just a couple little snippets you know with obviously conference realignment being uh, at the front of everybody's mind in front of the conversation right now the commissioner had put out a statement saying that the Sun Belt was willing to sort of be the aggressor and if the right school came along they'd be willing to talk to about possibly expanding so we asked commissioner gill what he's looking for in a potential new league member yeah you know i think when you're trying to evaluate i think geography matters you know so where is the school located how does it help you shrink your geography which is desirable sometimes it'll extend your geography which is okay for the right school and the right brands I do think for us, you know, sports sponsorship matters, you know. Now, the question is whether these are compelling factors, you know, because if you have one factor where you're really strong in, maybe, you know, it's it's less than the other thing. But, you know, baseball is important to us. Softball is important to us. And so, you know, looking for schools that add in that regard, obviously basketball is important too. Um, so that's an important piece. Um, you're also looking at commitment and, you know, facilities. I mean, one of the things that I was really s- surprised by – because um, I hadn't been to a lot of the Sunbelt schools before I took this job, was the facilities. And here in Jonesboro, I mean, you look at you look at the f- football facilities and the facilities generally, basketball that Arkansas State has, and um, and it's it's really impressive. And, um, you know, I don't know that too many people in the country have better football facilities. So those facilities are important because you want to make sure that you are um, – you're associating with schools that have the same commitment because we want to win – we want people investing, and we want to continue to get better. So those are some of the things that, you know, you'll be looking at in terms of, you know, kind of evaluating. And for us, it'll always be, hey, should we just stay at 10 football schools? You know, we've got 10 great members, um, really strong conference right now, um, and um, continue to grow. And so, you know, maybe that's the right number, too, and that's the right place to be. So another thing, and I didn't even know this when we talked with Keith Gill on Friday, but on Monday, all the big to do is that the – Conference USA presidents are being presented this plan to sell them on a realignment plan with the Sun Belt and with the American. Now, okay. Now the funny thing about that is that Conference USA is not negotiating from a position of strength right here. If I'm being, if we're being honest, I don't know of a team in the country who's angling to get into Conference USA. In fact, you could probably make the case there are schools in Conference USA who right now would leave to go to either the Sun Belt or the American. So I'm not sure how much traction I see this getting when it's Conference USA driving the boat. But to me, it's no big mystery. Conference USA and the Sun Belt overlap a ton in geography. There are a lot of schools that have been members of both or each somewhere along the way. Uh, schools are similar in resources. and I mean, the leagues are an awful lot alike. So one of the things I asked Commissioner Gill is, uh, you know, how he would describe the work and relationship among the league offices in the Sun Belt and Conference USA. I think it's great. You know, I've got a great relationship with Judy McLeod, the commissioner there at Conference USA. You know, we just worked on a deal with our um, um, beach volleyball programs that now, you know, kind of are in kind of Conference USA just started beach volleyball so um our working relationship is is good you know we share information just spent time with their football person trey when i was at the troy um southern miss game so i think it's a good relation working relationship i think um you know we try to collaborate a little bit as much as we can on scheduling and those types of things um judy and i kind of talk regularly so i think I'd like to think that I have good relationships with all um, my commissioner colleagues, but certainly with Conference USA, you know, I feel like we're pretty close. There's a lot of overlap there, so there is. it makes sense for us to work together. Sure, especially, again, 
because it's not just about football. When you start looking, you know, Olympic sports down the line, I mean, you, you that's those are places where some sort of scheduling arrangement seemed to make a ton of financial sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and um, and so so no, so they. I mean, we we shadow each other. You know, you think, uh, you know, you look at Louisiana Tech and ULM. Schools are thirty minutes apart. You know, um, so UTSA and Texas State. You know, the schools yeah. are forty minutes apart. So I mean, there's there's just a lot of kind of um, you know kind of connectivity geography wise. Um, obviously, our programs are similar, and we compete against each other. So, um, so I, I feel like our relationship is really good. Like I said, you know, close to Judy, talk to her regularly, and um, and and so I think it works pretty well. So good to catch up with Commissioner Gill, and yeah, I like the fact that he's as visible as he is right now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that he's going to be at A State games three straight weeks. Yeah, I, I, I've liked. I was a big fan of the statement about being willing to go out and look for the right team as opposed to just sitting back and seeing if you got poached. I thought that was a good message. And and to be as upfront about that, and in a lot of cases, I, I guess with this conference stuff, you, you take a wait-and-see approach. But I like the fact that Keith Gill did something a little bit different here. And by the way, since then, and even in the clip you just heard, he'll still throw in there, hey, maybe 10's the right number. But at least they're willing to go out and look for the right one if it comes along and, and view all the things. Instead of just sitting back, letting the American do whatever it wants to do, and then reacting accordingly. I, I like that the Sun Belt has at least come out and said it's willing to be the aggressor if the right situation comes along. Now, one thing we have not gotten to yet are some of the other things happening in A-State sports this week. We'll recap those when we come back on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize your home really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank, the A-State soccer team, with another great week. Beating ULM at home last Thursday, 2-1. to one. Then you know, Sunday night, they go to Little Rock and win that game 3-1. to one. Couple of things of note there. That ULM win just lets you know kind of what ULM brought to the table. Up to the weekend prior to that, they were undefeated. They left Jonesboro after the loss on Thursday, went and beat South Alabama on Sunday. That win paired with A State's win now has the Red Wolves back in sole possession of first place in the Sun Belt. Another interesting thing about that three one win against Little Rock Sunday. All three goals scored by true freshmen. How about that? Yeah. And, of course, their leaders, and these are the ones that continue to be the leaders in the meantime, Sarah Sedoman, Megan, Megan McClure. McClure yeah. The best scorer and the best goalkeeper in the history of the program, probably, on the field with all this young talent. A great mix yeah. of seniors and freshmen for this A-State soccer team. They're now 8-4-1 and one overall, 5-1 and one in the Sun Belt. And coming up, this Friday, they'll be home against Georgia State. That starts at 3 o'clock. And then at noon on Sunday, they'll conclude the homestand against Appalachian State. So 
soccer team continuing to roll. Meanwhile, a good week for the volleyball team as well. They took two out of three. Yeah, they're, they're playing well. They continue to kind of get some footing. You know, I, I, I felt bad for them last year because you had year two under Coach Restrepo, and it was just so uneven they were stopping and COVID and injuries and then you know didn't even get to go to the conference tournament so it's good to see kind of things take root the way he wants to do it players have bought into that and you know they're they're playing well and they're fun to watch we mentioned they had three matches last week one in four sets at Little Rock on Tuesday they lost in Lafayette Friday but bounced back with a four set win (laughs) at ULM on Sunday beating ULM for the 40th straight unreal the volleyball team now 13 and 6 overall 4 and 3 in the Sun Belt and you know, they're going to be home this coming week hosting UTA Thursday night at 6 o'clock and then Saturday they'll host Texas State at 6 o'clock so as we wrap it up again uh, the football team with a bye week this week their next game will be Thursday night October 21st against the Ragin' Cajuns and in the meantime, the Cajuns will be hosting Appalachian State Tuesday night. Yeah, and I, I do think uh, for the first time in a while, at last check, you know, the Cajuns will take the field as a slight home underdog. It hadn't happened to them lately. I saw that. I think App was a three-and-a-half-point favorite going into that which, one. Which is interesting because I think that opened at about two. So, bye week this week, but we promise we'll still have plenty to talk about on next week's podcast. Preemptive here kind of rant to close things out. Okay. Because one of the things we'll, we'll have stories to tell because it involves taking a plane trip. So, two goofy things are going to happen. We're going to fly commercial, which we don't do a ton sometimes, at least during football. So, here's what's going to happen. That's not going to make any sense. Two things. They're going to load that plane from the front backwards, which is just so dumb. I, 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 I mean, okay, if you're you ready let, for it. If you want to let the first class people on, let the first class people on. But loading it from the front backwards is so bass backwards. That's why everybody walks on top of each other, getting back to the plane. And then the other thing that goofy thing's going to happen: that plane's going to land, and as soon as the wheels touch, the people on the back row are going to undo those seatbelts and jump up to go nowhere particular. Yeah, I've never understood that I, i'm going to wait until the row in front of me stands up that's when that's when i'll stand up out of my seat all right so airlines do better load it from the back passengers do better unload it from the front this is not nearly as hard on either account as we make it out to be i agree with that we appreciate you listening this has been the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank